Hello, it's Coach Aaron Saft on the Running is Life podcast. And today, as promised, um, I've got Scotty Coomer of 10 Junk Miles with me. Um, Scotty and I agreed just to have a conversation. Uh, we had no agenda behind this. We had no um, pre-planned questions um, or topics that we wanted to discuss. We just wanted to have a conversation and see where it went. Because um, Scotty does a lot for this sport. And, um, you know, between putting on races, um, starting an awesome running group, which we talk about, and uh, his podcast, of course, just a lot that uh, that he has thoughts on. And I wanted to hear. Him. <laughs> so that's why I had him as a guest. Um, and we're going to continue this conversation, as you'll hear at the end of our conversation. Um, we're going to do a part two, and it's going to be on 10 Junk Miles. So um, I'll let you all know when that comes out. Um, we're going to record next week. And, uh, you know, whatever that lands, I will let you know. So, um, you know, let's, uh, let's get into the conversation here with Scotty and I'll catch up with you after that. All right, Scott, um, Scott shared with me his, his recent, uh, unfortunate accident. So, um, Scott, I, I appreciate you rescheduling with me, uh, it, however much you want to share. <laughs> um, why don't you well, share I appreciate you rescheduling with me. You know, I mean, I felt like the bad guy Not like at all. two days before the, and, and to be fair, when I told you that I needed to reschedule, I didn't know that I'd broken a rib. Right, I just knew right, I had right. taken a fall and that it was hurting and I was oh, yeah, trying yeah. to get to the ER. Oh, for but, sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, definitely. Second That's time the... that dog has tripped me. It's just, oh my God. she's, she's a puppy. She, she doesn't, you know, and yep. I, I, I've been running with a dog. I, I ran with my old Doberman for maybe six years. He was like the best running buddy ever. And, uh. but the difference is that had this happened with him, he would have laid down next to me and looked at me with great concern <laughs> and felt guilty for days. <laughs> the little puppy, she just looked at me like, you are a loser. Why aren't you running? You know, like she just has no idea that I'm hurting. So How old's the puppy? And, uh, she's about mm, 14 months now. Okay. Right on. And then her other thing that she likes to do is she likes to run as fast as she can and then uh, push both of her paws on your stomach, like, like gut punch you, which <laughs> with a broken rib feels really good. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. This, this is your second Doberman? Yeah. 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 Um, and like, what was running with the other one? What, how far did you go together? Um, what, what, kind uh, of- Dovi did a 50 mile, wow. uh, in a 24 hour race. Yeah. Wow. Um, he did a couple 30 mile races. Oh my gosh. That's he, awesome. he could just in this little one, she's going to be even better than, than he is. She's got about, um, 600 miles so far this year and she's, oh, you know, she's only been running, you know, for like three or four months. She, she'll, she never says no. So uh, <laughs> that's a good they're really good running partners. They're, yeah. They're fun to yeah. run with. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've got a mini Aussie uh, and he was my running partner for a long, long time, but uh, he had a knee injury and at any time he tries to run too much, you can tell he starts to favor that, that joint. So um, yeah, we, he's just my, my walking companion now, but um, ah, think, you know, they're just amazing to have as a, you know, as a cohort. Um, you can learn a lot about running from the dog. You know, because yeah. the dog doesn't care about the pace. The dog doesn't like, like you look down and they just have this look on their yeah. face. Like this yeah. is the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. yeah. And they're doing the same six mile run that you've been doing every day for the last <laughs> eight years. But it's like every single run, they're just, they're so present and they're yeah. so happy, yeah. you know? Yeah. Running is life. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you're, did you watch um, um, Ted Lasso? Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's like Danny, you know, just football is life. That's, you know, that's, that's kind of where I got my, you know, my, my new company title from uh, running his life. It's just that joy, that presence. And you're right. It's that's what you see when you're running with your dog. It's just this happiness, this joy. And, you know, that's kind of what I try to uh, emulate and, and show my athletes is that, you know, this is, this is supposed to be fun. We're supposed to have a good time with this, you know, like smile and, and just make it, you know, a joyous occasion. Um, well, and I think we forget but, about the fun. Yeah, We've, I mean, yeah. like even so today I, um, I was talking to a, a woman, uh, I just got done interviewing her name, Sierra DeGroff, and she's the hundred mile champion, uh, for last year. And, um, she did the bear and okay. she's kind of like a, a roadie kind of, she, she likes running fast on roads, and she does the hard stuff because she wants to get hard rock qualifiers and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. it's not her bag. Like it's it's right. harder for her. Yeah. And, you know, and I asked her about the bear and she went into this big, long thing about how, you know, it's the, the, the climbing part. And, you know, she's going on and on. And I just, Sierra, did you have fun? That's all I care about. Like, did you have fun? You know? <laughs> Uh, and she said, yeah, I did. You know, when you, when you separate yourself from the, what pace am I and what, what place am I? And, you know, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's like at the end of the race, sometimes we don't even ask people that, you know, like, did right. you have a good time? You know? Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, you know, running Badger, it was, it was evident, you know, everywhere. Um, it's like, you know, if you listen to my, my race recap, it was, we experienced it. Tom and I experienced it at aid stations, um, the other runners, you've really created an, an amazing community, you know, um, uh, it's, um, it's cool. Uh, it's, it's something that I tried to do, you know, we had talked a little bit about like, you know, I, I had RD for a while and it was something that I was trying to create, um, you know, here in Western North Carolina and, um, you know, there's some great RDs in, in our area, obviously. Um, but just what you've done, you've complemented it so well with the podcast, um, and, you know, and now the races, um, and what, what was the evolution there? It was the podcast first and then the races. Yeah. So you didn't know about any of that going into the race. No, I knew about the podcast and, okay. you know, yeah, I knew about the podcast and I knew, you know, I knew you put on races. Um, I was very familiar with all that, but the, just the timeline, you know, what, what did that look like? Um, it, it's all accidental, Aaron. And, yeah. and, and all of it just kind of like, it kind of morphed out of other stuff. Like I was in a running group okay. in a, in a local running group here in Chicago and they had a, like a, like a fee that you paid every year and then they bought gear. And then like, there was this whole, like, nobody really knew where the money was going and mm. it didn't feel like it was very transparent. And, uh, it, it really felt like you had to know this one person if you wanted to be an ultra runner in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of clicky. And, you know, at some point I just kind of looked at all of it and said, well, this is dumb. You know, like <laughs> ultra running should just be everybody who wants to do it can do it and whatever. Yeah, sure. So I started my own group and then kind of took over and that took over all of the ultra running and in, in, in the Chicagoland area for a while, yeah. Flatlander ultra runners in Chicagoland and, and the whole premise of the group. And, and this comes from my deep roots and recovery and going to 12 step meetings and stuff like that was to set up a, a construct where nobody can be in charge or make money or be in power or feel like, you know, like it, it's all just really egalitarian and it's just a running group for the people, by the people, whatever. And um, I didn't do that setting out to like create anything as much as just to solve a problem. Hmm. And that group grew, that group probably over 2000 people now. <laughs> and, you know, for example, like when they order gear, it'll be like, okay, let's get hats. We'll get trucker hats. All right. We'll get the logo. All right. 
how much is it going to cost? Let's put in the order, then divide what the cost is by the number of people getting it. And then that's what we pay. And that's it. You know, like I don't even advertise my races in that group. I don't advertise my podcast in that group. That group is just forerunning and that's it. And there's very, you know, very simple rules. Just be a grown up and don't try to, you know, take over and stuff like that. So, so that happened. And then at some point down the road and all of that, um, I, I started to organize a couple other things. I organized an ultra runners and recovery group, a couple other things. And then um, I had this idea. Now, I, I don't know. Are you, are you like a huge podcast fan too? Do you listen to lots yes. of podcasts? Yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it running and non-running? Yes. Yep. Okay. So, you know, I've talked about this before on other uh, podcasts, but not on mine as much. But there was a, there was a podcast called, Adam Carolla had a, had a, has a famous podcast yeah. and he had a news girl named Allison Rosen and she had a segment, uh, like a news segment. And then on the off days, she had her own show and it was called Allison Rosen is your new best friend. And it was her and her friends talking about their lives. Nice. And for some reason I got sucked into this podcast of these <laughs> just people sitting around talking about their lives. And even my wife looked at me one day and she's like, why the hell are we listening to this? Like, why do we care about these people? But all of a sudden, like, you know, they're inside jokes and their little songs, you know, about their kids. And, you know, it's like, these are my friends, you know, my podcast friends. So, you know, put a pin in that. Then look at, you know, people are looking at this, you know, Flatlander stuff. We would do group runs. We'd have a lot of people to run with. And then I would get messages from people that I've met in the running world being like, oh, I wish I had 20 people to run a 30 miler with this weekend. I'm by myself out here in the middle of Canada, you know, Washington, Idaho, whatever the case may be. And those two things put together in my head. And I thought, what if we started a a podcast for runners so that you could have running friends, like fake running friends. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're real people, but like we're your pretend running friends for when you don't have anyone to run with so that Aaron could get up on Friday mornings and be like, you know what? I'm looking forward to my long run this weekend. We do 10 miles with the 10 junk miles gang. You know, it'll be a lot of fun. I'll laugh and catch up with them. And then it's like, you have someone to run with. And, and then all of a sudden at some point, then I decided there's people that I think are interesting in this, in this sport. Now, not necessarily successful or, you know, uh, famous, but just, Interesting. And and what just for a point of reference, when did you start ultra running? Like what year? Uh 2008. Okay. So you went on a long time. So there would be somebody, and this this will probably resonate with you, like uh Vanessa Runs. Do you remember her mm-hmm. from California? And she yep. had that book and all that. Yep. And I'd be like, God, what's her story? Right. You know, I want to yeah. know her story. And then I would have them on and just do a one-on-one with them just to get to know them. Sure. In the format that I use. Then that was the long run. Um and then at some point, um, I found this trail, the trail that you were on. Now, you didn't get to see the tunnel. Right. The tunnel's the best part. It's like, <laughs> awesome. But I went up there to see this tunnel, and I took my wife, and and she's like, why are we going to look at this tunnel? This is going to be stupid. And we're like going through the trail, and she's like, you know, this is dumb. And then we finally got to the tunnel, and we got like halfway into the tunnel, and she got scared because it was so dark and creepy. And, and I'm like, this is awesome. We need to do a race <laughs> on this trail. So I started exploring the trail and deciding to do the, the run. But now all these things, none of them were like based on each other. Like it, 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 when I remember the first year we put on the Badger, that was the very first race I ever put on. And it was 100, 100K, all the way down to half marathon. That was the whole kit and caboodle. Sure. We had about 520 participants. We, we had no idea what we were doing, just <laughs> none. But I didn't realize that people would show up and they would know each other 
from being fans of the podcast and that that in in a sense they had formed a community amongst themselves which then after the first badger led to them creating their own facebook group and then getting to know each other and and then that just you know like and then eventually when covid hits you know like my big thing was geez what can i do you know how can i help people and the first thing i thought of is i could give them more podcasts so i did a, a podcast a day of meet the nation, which I would just take people that are in this 10 junk miles nation mm-hmm. and do a 20 minute. And it's the same questions every time. How'd you get into running? What's your favorite episode? How'd you find 10 junk miles? You know, like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I also do like a desert Island. If you had to go to a desert Island and you could only bring one book album and movie, what would they be thinking that we're all going to be stuck in our houses for the next 80 years? Maybe we need some <laughs> more ideas of stuff to watch. <laughs> anyway, that only made them know each other more. And feel even more connected. So then, when it when it came time to, for you to come to the next race for the Ten Junk Miles, you know, race, they would be like, "Oh my God, Aaron! Yeah, I can't believe your mom escaped from prison when she was a kid." Or you know, like whatever <laughs> the, the the little fact that they got from you, right? You know, they all started to know each other, and then that community just grow. And then they had a book club and a movie club, and oh. you know, happy hour. And, you right. know, like it's just it never ends. Now they go and they and, and and a lot of this stuff I don't I don't really not involved in. Like, I don't, I'm not the guy that's in charge of the book club. Someone in the nation is, you know, I don't, I'm not even a a administrator of this 10 junk miles nation Facebook group. Someone else, you know, like all I did was like put it in motion because like, it's kind of like what I said at the race in the pre-race meeting. It's about you. It's not about me. Like the whole idea is, is not, I'm so cool. You should want to know me and be my friend and follow me around and do fun stuff with me. It's, it's, I want to create a place where you guys can all meet each other and become friends. And that only makes the community better, you better, the, you know, everything improves once we all get to know each other. And yeah. so, so that, I mean, I don't know if that answers the actual question you asked, but that's yeah, totally. the, that's, that's the, the path, yeah. Yeah. you know, and none of it was, I want to start a, a ultra running group. I never said, I want to be a podcaster. I never said, I want to be a race director. All these things were just like, someone should do this thing. And then, well, fine, I'll just do it. You know, what? And, and, you know, to, to circle back to the podcast, when I had the fully realized idea of friends and, you know, running and, you know, not being alone, I told this to one of the guys that was in the original show with me. And he just looked at me, he goes, well, let's just do it. I mean, that's a great idea. Let's just do it. We knew nothing about podcasting. We knew nothing right. about, you know, we just put this thing up and didn't know if anybody would listen. So yeah. that, you know, and, and, and the rest is kind of his, and I mean, it's all side hustle, you know, like I have a full-time job as a lawyer and this yeah. is just, yeah. you know, other stuff, but that it just keeps expanding. And I don't, you know, I don't know when it's going to end. I, well, I, I just have to just pause for a moment here and just clear my mother's name. So everybody listening understands my mother was never in jail, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nor did she have to escape <laughs> um, <laughs> back to you. Um, so um, th- what intrigues me, too, is that, as you said, your full time gig is a lawyer, but you are a full time lawyer. Um, you're a podcaster and you're also an RD. What does your day look like? Uh, well, it depends on the day. I mean, if it's, if it's a day like today, you know, I'm doing this morning. I, um, well, I slept in, we, we recorded, I do another show called the morning show Mm -hmm. and it's a Chicago daily 10 minute podcast, just about weather sports, running news, uh, what events are coming up, 
And uh, the girl that I do it with, she talks about her workout. It's under the uh, Chicago Athlete Magazine, but okay. it's just called the the Morning Stretch with Chicago Athlete Magazine. And I record and produce that with her five days a week. Okay. So that's usually like 5.15. I'm up doing that, recording that. I got to produce that show on Monday morning. I, I I record my Meet the Nation, that that 20-minute interview, mm-hmm. sometime during the week. I produce that and put that up on Monday morning along with who's who won the Strava leaderboard in our in our group or some you know links or things like that. Mm-hmm. And then um once I get done with all that, then I practice law. I do law all day. Um now throughout the day I might get emails related to the race, deferrals, questions, you know, updating books, stuff like that. Um but I try to focus on you know putting in a, a solid eight hour a day as a lawyer every day. And then it depends what's going on at night. Like I might have a gang show. I might have a show for a different podcast. Uh, I might do RD work. Um, you know, it's, it's, yeah. there, there's, it, it, what I always say is it's, you have kids. I do. How many? Two. Okay. Yeah. So I say, it's kind of like, like I got three kids and I love them all. And I'm glad that I get to spend time with all of them. And I wish yeah. I could spend all of the time with all of them, but I can't, right. you know? So I just kind of wrestle with, which of the things that I really, really love do I get to do today? You know, uh, and I always feel like I'm coming up short on all of them. And then uh, as I'm, we may get into, if we talk about my running or lack thereof, that's always the, the thing that I, that I drop is like, I don't have time to take care of myself and do my running. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to find that balance. And that's why I ask because, yeah, I mean, you know, today, uh, you know, like I was telling you, I flew back from Chicago. I got in Asheville at 1.30, came home, dropped off my bags, let the dog out. And then I went to practice with my daughter. That was my my daughter time. Came home, um, you know, cleaned up a little bit around here. And my son is like, hey, let's go uh, toss the football. I got some Spanish homework I need help with. So helping with Spanish, went and tossed football and then popped on here with you. Um, you know, and, and today, thankfully, is my off day. So, uh, you know, I'm not running today, but it's yeah, it's a tough balance. Um, you know, people often ask me like, how do you fit everything in? Well, you know, it's, it's just like you said, kind of making sure, um, that you, you have what you need to get done. You know, you schedule that time. And if, if running has to be the sacrifice, then that's what it has to be. Um, cause the other things have, you know, precedent and you gotta get them done. So it's the one thing I can screw up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure. the bus has got to pick you guys up to take you to, to Orangeville. Right, you know? right, right. <laughs> but absolutely. if I don't get my run in, nobody dies, you know? Right, right. Absolutely. No, absolutely. It's, I've come to that point in my life where, you know, it's like running can take the backseat. You know, that's the that's that's the thing right now. It's like it's not at the forefront. There's too many other. But you're still killing it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I hope to, to get back a little bit more competitive next year. <laughs> but it was fun this year. Um, but do I, you and... have your Grand Slam trophy? I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's does uh, it have the Badger logo on it? It does. It well, it has it says Badger one hundred and you know, but I'll show it to you when we get off air. I'll I'll bring it up and, and give you a uh, I have a picture of it I can send you to. Um yeah, but yes, thank awesome. you. Um it's I'll thank you on air because Scotty was just amazing. You know, like when we came to him and said, Hey, you know, we're kind of in this pickle. <laughs> he he did he didn't flinch. I mean, it was almost instantaneous. He was like, Yeah, come. <laughs> so that was amazing. Well, what would be the reason not to is what I don't understand. Yeah. You know, the only thing I can think of is when Western States was canceled on whatever year that was, 2019 or whatever it is, um, Burning River became the replacement in the, the Grand Slam. And the only thing I can think of is something must have occurred that year, which potentially upset Burning River. 
Um, so I don't know. I, I really don't know what the the backstory is. You know, they they just said no. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, that was that was odd. But because uh, that was what you know, Vermont they they said, hey, Burning River is giving you fifty percent off. You know, so I was like, oh, okay. And then you know, then when they said get the approval. So went to them. They're like, no, I was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so it was just weird. That's um, a no weird thing to say no to. Right. Right. Like what's the, you know, I don't know. I, I, like I said, there must've been some kind of animosity between the two. So whatever it is, I don't know. And I didn't want to get in the middle of it. So I was just grateful <laughs> when we emailed you and you said, yes, come. Cause you know, we had a blast. My daughter absolutely loved it. Uh, my daughter was there. She's 12. Um, she just had a blast and I brought, um, Jamie Hirschfang from, from Chicago. Um, she had a blast. Um, Nathan was my main pacer through this whole thing and my main crew chief. And we just had a great time. Um, it was, it was fun sharing it with Tom. Um, you know, I actually coached Tom and so Tom got through the grand slam as well. So Tom's got his, his grand slam trophy with, with Badger on there. And I think, um, um, Tomo, right? Tomo ran, is that Am I thinking right, Tomo? Um, um, from Japan. The Tomo. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There was. Yeah, I so, think there was three of you. Yeah. So it was Tomo, Tom, and I. Um, and Tomo, I think, actually did all five races. I think he actually did Old Dominion, Western Badger, um, Leadville, and Wasatch. I was like, that's incredible, and he's he killed it. Like his combined time was amazing. It was probably, I think it was top 10 times since what this has been going on since like 1983 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Just incredible. Um, so what, but you know, what a, what a fun time. And then, you know, the thing that, that was just awesome was that anybody I came on, they, um, they had a story and they told it, you know, like, um, I'll be honest when I, I and I've, I've said this, that when I went to Leadville, there was little conversation. Everybody was so blasted focused on the intensity of you know what was going on around them that nobody really talked much it was just very just you know everybody's nose to the grind right whereas with yours everybody was laid back and enjoying i mean there was you know obviously people that were were trying to compete um i was between the second and third women and man those two were you know they were they were after it you know and and that was great i understood and i backed off like i didn't try to bother them didn't try to get you know didn't try to mess up their races at all. Um, but um, it was, you know, it was just a fun place to to be. And uh, seeing Michelle Hartwig there supporting the race, uh, like Michelle is just incredible. So you have some great people that surround that, um, you know, and, and Dollywood, I really, <laughs> I just enjoyed, uh, or is it, is Dollywood, right? Hollywood. Was it oh. Hollywood? Sorry. Hollywood. Hollywood. Uh, um, <laughs> so just some awesome stuff around the race. Like it's, it's really starting to get its own, you know, um, sense of itself you know the aid stations having their own names and captains it's that's cool i like seeing that um well take... and they're all um race directors too mm -hmm. is the thing i mean yeah. so that's like or just people that are like legends in the industry and know you know they know what they're doing yeah. so that, i mean that and and they always come back it's always the same people so that's, that's nice once you yeah. once you're there for like three or four years you're kind of invested and then you just you can't even imagine anyone else running your aid station that would yeah. you know that would be terrible yeah. right so right. that that I'm really lucky with. This was what year of of Badger? Well, so it was 19, 20, 20 was what, COVID. Did you, did you do twenty was COVID? Did you do it in COVID? No. So yeah. then no twenty. Then 21. we did it in twenty one. We did it in twenty two. We did so this was the so fourth, fourth fourth year. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. And how many people over this, the, cause you had, um, I mean, you talked about the distances earlier you had from hundred mile down to half marathon, half marathon. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say about 500 ish, 500 nice. in, the, in the total event. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's it's so cool. Uh, what's your cap there? Do they give you a cap? Not really. No. no? I mean, awesome. I like if, like if we ever became like a States qualifier or became like the, um, I think we could be a, a championship, like a hundred K or 50 mile or something like that. I could put 750 on that trail easy uh, for, for either the, the Saturday race or the Sunday race. So okay. I could do, I could do 750 in the hundred miler, but it's just, you know, it's, it's one of those things where like people can't do as many hundreds as some, some of us do, you know, like you did four or five this year, you know, like, yeah. That's not the average. A lot of people, no. they can only do one or two or yeah. four. Well, that's, that, and know, that's what I suggest. <laughs> Don't be stupid like yeah. that. <laughs> Don't be stupid. <laughs> and if you want to get a Western States qualifier or a hard rock qualifier, you're limited, yeah. you know, to doing Absolutely. just specific races. So and, and is that something there, I've met people that they wish they could do it. And have you um, heard that I mean, I don't know. It's a, it, well, I mean, it, it's a math question. It's not really a, a no, asking yeah. thing. Right. I mean, it, it's basically the, the, the the biggest fields and i mean i think we're close i think we're probably right on the cusp i think we had 98 finishers and i think like 100 to 120 would probably get you in yeah, but then right it's kind of a catch-22 also aaron because you know you were there you saw the vibe you see what we do you know and mm -hmm. my answer to all questions related to the race is what would be awesome you know like let's do the things that would be awesome yeah and it's not bottom line money cost all that kind of stuff right so if we were a Western States qualifier and there was 750 people in the hundred miler, I don't know if I can put, you know, 10 kegs of beer out in the park all weekend, right, right. or, you know, if we could, you know, then, then you get people that the problem is that the people that are there for the badger are there for one of two things, either they're there for the trail or they're there for the people right. and they want to be there yeah. and they want to be specifically there. They don't want, want to just run a race. When you say we're a Western States qualifier, then you got, you know, Aaron Saf says, oh, well, I just need a qualifier. That looks like an easy one. Why don't I just go bang that one up? Well, then you're a different customer no. because yeah, you're no. not there yeah. to be part of the community and get to know someone. You're like, yeah. you know what? Screw you. I just want to get my my buckle and my qualifier and go home. Right, right. That's a different crowd. So yeah, that might change things. Yeah. Well, we um, So I started a 100 miler here in Western North Carolina with uh, a number of people in the community. And um, we built the Hellbender 100. And people kept asking, like, when are you going to be a hard rock qualifier? Because uh, there's not many hard rock qualifiers on the East Coast. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think we have two, right? I think it's Grindstone and Cruel Jewel, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. I think yes. I, I don't think Eastern States has I don't think they have it yet. And I think they're trying, but I don't think Eastern States has their um, approval yet. So part of the thing with hard rock is that there's a limited number of races that they will have. However many it is, we'll say it's 32 races. They have a, a list of 32 races that will be their qualifier. What has to happen is one of those has to drop off for somebody else to be picked up because they're only going to have so many races always, right? That's, that's their limiting factor is that they're going to have this many races that will be their qualifiers. And then as you were saying, you have to have a number of, of specific finishers, right? So our race we built, you know, we started at about 125 people total because we wanted to make sure it was feasible and manageable for the trails and sustainable for the trails. And then we started to grow it. We were, were permitted to do 250 up to 250, but we weren't sure that the course could, you know, 
take that based on crew access and and that many runners. So we grew it up to 150, but we haven't got over maybe last year we finally got over 100 finishers, but they want consistently you to have 125 finishers as you were saying. So there's a number of factors that go into you being, you know, as you said, a Western or a hard rock qualifier, which, you know, we were hoping to get to the hard rock, but, you know, we just haven't been able to be consistent with the amount of finishers. Um, and they want it for a certain amount of years. Like they want you to have, you know, show that you've done it for whatever, five consecutive years or whatever it may be, just to show that you're going to continue doing this so that you just don't drop off right away. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of that went into it, but um you're right. You know, and, and everything keeps evolving, right? Like Western States is adding more qualifiers to its list. So you're adding a number more people that are getting into the lottery. It's, it's, it's a tough, tough spot to be. Um, and UTMB, like that's a whole nother story. <laughs> um, the grindstone just happened here and I, I heard mixed reviews. I don't know if you've had any runners or encounters with runners that have had setting. Not yet. No. Yeah. No. Yet. So they had really rough weather that really rough weather. It was, it was very rainy. Um, and I mean, there was some people complained about a number of things. It's a new course, you know, um, Clark Zealand still running it, but, um, it was, uh, that, you know, he was being kind of squashed on things that he could do or wanted to do by UTMB. So he didn't have like the, the input, like he you know, typically would, um, with UTMB, uh, being, you know, kind of that, that overseer, if you will. Um, so it's, I don't know. Um, you know, it's, it's, I have mixed emotions about that, you know, and about like UTMB taking over some of these, these bigger U S events. Um, I think everybody should have a chance to run UTMB. It's an amazing race. Uh, have you been over there? No, no. Oh, not gosh. not to run, no. Yeah, oh, it's it's, oh, it's such an experience. Whatever race you do, you know, whatever distance. But oh my god, it's it. I you know what I kept saying because at Hellbender we we had points when that was still a thing. You know, you get UTMB points. Um, but you know, it, I said everybody's got to have a chance, and if, if we can help become that chance for them to get their points, by all means. But you know, I, I like I think I would draw the line at letting UTMB buy the race. Um, but anyhow one of my all-time favorite uh people in the world allison kirk was a champion oh, yeah. of the hellbinder yeah yes yes yeah i'm so glad to see she's regaining her health um yeah allison is amazing uh she won the first two years uh and i tried to have her come back for the third um uh, but i think that was the year she got into hard rock if i remember correctly yeah and and it's funny we we the crew for hard rock was going to be uh well obviously her husband mm -hmm. and a couple other people but then me and dusty olson was going to pace her oh, and nice. camille heron was going to come along and oh uh, so it's going to be me and dusty and camille and <laughs> allison and pff, it would have been really fun if that would have ever happened but oh. uh, it did not yeah. dusty comes to a lot of the he's coming to my next race oh, he cool. came to the sugar badger he hangs out a lot at the 10 junk miles stuff oh that's he's a cool. fun guy to have around yeah have you been able to go around hard rock at all? Uh, I've been there. Uh, I DNF the San Juan Solstice. Okay. And I've been in the area, but no, uh, something on my, on my list of things that I've always wanted to do or to go do a soft rock. Yeah. Um, that would yeah. be really fun to do. That's uh, it's my favorite race. Um, man, it's like, uh, I'm putting in next year because it's the opposite direction. You know, at first I was like, well, I don't want to take somebody's spot. But then I was like, well, I'm in the veteran field now. I'm not really taking a first timer spot. So if I can do it the opposite direction, I'm going to do it. And, you know, then I'll have the, the both directions. But 
it's such a neat event like you know very you know it's like kind of what you were expressing earlier it's just that very close-knit community you know everybody's there because of the race and what it is and it's just it's so cool like i couldn't believe how many volunteers i was like oh my gosh like <laughs> you know i knew you know x from california and y from north carolina and z from new york it's just so cool like how many people come to volunteer at that event and be around it so um you know people talk you know some things some bad things about it i understand that it's hard to get into um you know and, and it, oh they do it behind closed doors so yeah there's questions as to you know the lottery but um it's i you know i hope people have the opportunity and have the patience to, to stick it out to get in because it's it really is an amazing course and an amazing event so give me and i have some criticisms and, and i voice them a lot and I'm sure there's no love lost. And then it, it also, I should just say, depends on who the people are, because there's some people involved in both states and hard rock that when they hear my criticism, they're like, you know what? That's a legitimate concern. Sure. You know, that's a legitimate, like, I think that we've reached this point in the world. I, I put up a post today about um, this cancellation of the twin cities marathon for heat oh, yeah. reasons. Yeah. And it caused this spirited debate, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but we've kind of reached this point where if, then if Aaron Saft rolls into my post and says, Scotty, you're way off base on this. You know, we, we got to worry about, you know, people's health and safety first or you know, whatever. Then it becomes, you're my enemy, you know, and it, mm -hmm. it, we haven't, we haven't really got to the point where we can say, you know what, the, that's a, that's a logical position. And I have a logical position, you know, and maybe I, I don't side with you, but I see where you're coming from. You yeah. know, yeah. my complaints about things like Western States and hard rock are all coming from the standpoint of, we have this thing in our sport of egalitarianism, mm -hmm. you know, the mm -hmm. great thing about, about our sport is that I can line up right next to Scott Jurek at Absolutely. start line right. and that we're, we're equal, right? except when it comes to things like getting into Western States and getting into hard rock, you know, mm -hmm. because there's some, you know, you'll see a picture of so-and-so who just finished his 24th hard rock, which always makes me say, you know, if, if there's a restaurant in North Carolina and, 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 and no one could ever get in. And there's a line outside every day of people trying to get in who get turned away every day, who right. wait in line for years to get in and never get in. Right. And you were strolling out after having your 22nd meal there. Wouldn't you feel like kind of a jerk? I mean, I'm not saying you are a jerk. I'm no, saying no. it's a bad system, I, yeah. it, but I would feel yeah. bad, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's the way it's set up. Right. And I mean, there's two yeah. things here. When you post something online, there's no conversation, right? It's your words, and then somebody can post their words, and you don't understand the connotation behind it either, right? Like, you don't understand if they're trying to be malicious or if they're just making a statement, right? Mm -hmm. They may not be trying to make an enemy of you. They may just simply be making a statement that has neither positive nor negative connotation to the, the statement. They're just making a plain statement. But then you put in a rebuttal, and then perhaps it becomes a negative connotation that they're you know now going to argue and so without voice, it's really hard. Like you and I can have a conversation right now. And, and I could say, you know, the way that hard rock set up is it's hard because, and as I just said, my putting into the lottery does not affect the first timers. Like, you know, cause there's two separate pools, right? So like these guys running 22 times, they don't see it as well. They're not letting a first timer in because they're not in their pool. Now, if they combine the pools, then yes, then that would be, I would, I would feel awful if I was going for my 24th attempt and like there's first timers that have not made it in in 10 years. Right. But the way they have it set up, I think it creates a different mentality and that's, you know, that's the difference. I mean, you know, right or wrong, that's the way they have it set up. Right. 
Right, but if they set it up a different way, and that's what I'm saying, right? More like, people get in. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying is like in the yeah. current system, right? That's you know that's the that's the way it is, right? Um, should it change? Well, you know, we can always say, and nothing's going to change unless voices, you know, say something. But it's ultimately up to the, their decisions, right? Like, you know, Badger is ultimately up to decisions you and your wife make, right? And you can hear people like say something and you can take it into consideration. And then it's ultimately your decision to make. Like, you know, so the Hard Rock has a committee and that committee has decided and they changed the veteran pool, the way the veteran pool works. They changed how women's entries are working. So we're evolving there, at least. Right. We are starting to see changes. Is there more changes necessary to allow more first timers in? I would say yes. The veteran pool probably should be smaller, in my opinion, so that more first timers can get experience running hard rock. Because, as I said, with UTMB, people need to experience it. And how are we going to make that happen? Well, you need to let in more first timers. Yes, that's that. I agree on that. Absolutely. In the current system, that's, you know, we're limited by the fact that there's two separate pools and the veterans are not they're, they're In a sense, the veterans, the way the system is set up, they're not taking away from the first timers because that's the way the committee decided they wanted to move forward. So right or wrong, that's that's unfortunately the way it is at the moment, you know, and and, you know, with Western states, you, they, are, they have certain spots that are set aside for, you know, the top 10 returnees, uh, golden tickets, you know, volunteers, sponsorship spots. So, you know, you start seeing how these spots diminish and you're like, uh, and then, you know, there's people that get super irked, you know, they're in the lottery for eight years and a person with one ticket gets in, right? It's the first time trying and this person's been trying for eight years. Is that fair? I mean, you know, well, it's a lottery, right? So it's, it's so hard. Well, right? It's not really a lottery. I mean, it, it's a lottery, but it's a lottery that's weighted. It's right. a lottery where people yes, can bypass true. it. Yep. You know, oh, I, so I once it. you do that, then it's no longer really a lottery. Right. I, I got a raffle ticket. That's how I got in. Like, you know, yeah. so I mean, like there there's five tickets each year from the raffle. So, again, there's spots that are taken away. Like I was fortunate to to get in off the raffle. Perhaps I would have got in. I think I had like, I don't know what I was at this year. Thirty two tickets, I think this year. I mean, who can who knows? But, you know, so, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's a little bit of luck. But yeah, is it the right system? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. You know, like it, that's a hard thing with how many people are trying to get into these races these days. It's really hard, you know, and, well, and I don't I think it's you just can't confuse the fact that there's criticism of the system with saying that, you know, there's there's evil, evil doers or that, you know, I'm not I'm not saying they're bad people and they come up with no. a system that's screwing people over. I'm just right. saying it's unfortunate the world we're in ultra runners think. I got to go run Western States. Mm. Everybody puts their name in everybody, yep. you know, like yeah. uh, there's like a rat race to get into it. And, yeah. and, and it has a limited number of entries, you right. know? 369 or whatever it is. It's yeah. an impossible situation. Right. You know, and hard rocks there are some people, covered. you know, and, and I did a post a couple of years ago about this, where I, I criticized someone about the coverage and it just turned into like, you know, like I, like I, like I did something that was defamatory towards <laughs> somebody's mother. I mean, right. it's another one of those things that if you, <laughs> If you don't have a full throttled love for everything that everyone does, then you're bad. You're a bad actor yeah. too, you know? Right. So that's, you, you grow enemies that way too. But that wasn't really the point I was getting at. The point I was getting at was that I think that you can, I think that you can disagree with or criticize something without necessarily uh, going to war with the person that you're disagreeing or criticizing. Sure. With. I wish we could get back to that in life. Yeah. No, uh, uh, totally. I mean, I wish we could express our opinions without being belittled, <laughs> you know, like yeah. 
that's the you know honest truth is that if you put your opinion out there it's you know it feels people feel like they have to uh, attack it sometimes and and you know diminish you for you know saying what you what you believe and that's hard you know um it's it's well we're in that that you know that state right now it's it's interesting you know when you look at the you know the european models versus the american models and you know when europeans come over here the race that you know they're like what is what is all this like why do we have all this going on like why is it not just running you know like it, it's it, we've gotten kind of convoluted in our system sometimes i think with what we're trying to do with everything and keep it politically correct it's hard um you know and that's that's what race directors like yourself face on a daily you know you get all these questions and and concerns and people want you to do x y and z to make it fair to this you know this gender and that gender and uh, it's it's hard man that's really hard um, what it came down to for me was safety. Um, you know, our race, the hellbender, um, when the incident in China took place at the hundred K and 21 people died, I ripped out that article and I put it next to my bed stand. And every day I did everything I could to think of, to keep those runners safe. I, I've tried to put every, every piece that I could put into that race to make it safe. And when race day came, we had, you know, 50 mile per hour sustained winds, Temperatures dropped in the 30s and we had a hailstorm and my nightmare was, you know, coming a reality. I was watching these people go through the night and I stressed to them the the gear that they needed. And for, you know, when they went to the the low elevation, the last day station before they started climbing up towards Mount Mitchell, they were in 50 degree temperatures. But I warned them that the temperature would drop severely as they climbed 3000 feet up towards Mount Mitchell. And some people, because it was 50, they're like, oh, I don't need my jacket. And so they went up into that weather unprepared. And thank God nobody went hypothermic or nobody went into the hospital. But after that, I decided I just didn't have the nerves <laughs> to tolerate doing that again and going through that because, you know, I don't know how you feel. But when I say go, I'm like sending like if I have 125 people in my race, I'm sending 125 of my kids out into the woods to go play. Now, I'm scared shitless of what's going to happen to those 125 runners until they get back to me. I hug them and give them a buckle. And when they were up there and that hail was going on and I couldn't do a damn thing about it, except, you know, possibly stop them at that one aid station because there's a ton of people already up on the crest. I was worried about those people that were up there on the crest. And then, you know, the China incidents run through my head. And that was that was it for me. I said, I can't you know, if something were to happen to one of these runners, God forbid, no matter how much safety I put into place, I don't think I could live with myself because, you know, if they died, if they had died up there, that would have changed my life. And that's where it stopped for me. I was like, this race is wonderful. I love it. I would love to run it someday. But as a race director, I just couldn't tolerate it. That was beyond me to, to say, like, you know, this is within me to do year after year because of my safety issues and concerns, because I couldn't guarantee their safety. And that's what drove me nuts. So now you've been to the Badger. You bet you've been on my trail. Yep. Yep. And you you probably realize that you could go to sleep. On that trail, yep. Maybe for a whole weekend, nothing <laughs> right. would disturb you. It's, right. It's probably the safest uh, place. The climate is fine. It's you yeah. know we're never going to have you know tornadoes or anything crazy like that. That being said, you cross about seventy little farm roads. Mm -hmm. Those little roads oh, yeah. across. Yeah. And I'm convinced someone's going to get hit by a car and die. Like it's going to happen. And there's nothing that I can do about it. Right. I warn them. They know. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, and, and keep in mind also that unlike other races, that's an actual trail. 
yep. that little kids ride bikes on all day long. Like that's a real trail. Right. So, you know, and people get hit, they get yep. hit on that trail. Oh yeah. And, you know, I always tell my, my niece or, you know, there's someone's job is to hand me the awards and yep. to, before I hand them to you. Right. And, um, I always tell them that I'm, I am stressed to, uh, you know, 12 on, on a scale of one to 10 until the last runner comes through oh, because yeah. I am just terrified. And, and, and unlike most race directors or some race directors, I know almost everybody by name, Yeah, you know, like there are not a lot of strangers in that race. Right. And, you know, when I call your wife to tell her that you got hit by a car, you might be somebody that I actually know, you right. know? Right. But that's, you know, that definitely stresses me out. And, yeah. you know, but I mean, it's a, it's a known risk that yeah. may happen, you know, and there's, oh, yeah. there's nothing yeah. I can do, you know? I know. I know. And like, you know, but at the same time, again, like, you know, post fact, just because of, I wear my, I wear my heart on my sleeve and, you know, if it were to happen to somebody, I would take it on myself. Like, you know, even though I tried to do everything I could, I would, you know, take that to heart and it would definitely just, you know, change me in ways I probably don't want to face. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just took myself away from the situation, making sure that the race would still go on. But, you know, I said, I, I just can't do it under my direction. Um, you know, it's just, I made that decision, you know. And, I totally and, feel you, man. I totally feel, I know yeah. exactly what the feeling that you're talking about because yeah. I have it all day. It's, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, but then, like I, but then I also have people that, cry in my arms and tell me that I changed their life and that, oh, absolutely. you know, they wouldn't be a runner if it wasn't for me or, you know, like, and, yeah. and I, think, I don't want to stop doing that either. No, you know? I, I understand mean, that. Yeah. It's, yep. a, it's tough, yeah. but no, it's, I, a, it's a, you know, it's a very, like both of the things that, that I do and the things that we're talking about podcasting and race directing, they're very, they're very weird things because mm -hmm. there's not, you know, you, you think that you're going to, you know, get all this glory and make all this money and be famous and everything's going to be great. But, it really not, it really doesn't happen, you know, yeah. and, and race directing isn't, you know, I mean, I, I, I pay myself a little bit of money, you know, between all of the things I do, podcasting and race directing, I give myself some money. It's not a lot of money. Uh, and it's the hardest money that I make, you know, oh, yeah. because Absolutely. I can make $400 an hour being a lawyer, you yeah. know, yeah. so I don't have to work very long to make more money doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Well, the, you know, the, the other piece of it was I had the run shop. I used to have the, the run store and when COVID hit, we had a really hard decision to make, you know, I had a business partner and I said, you know, we either file for bankruptcy or the other choice was I turn it over to him. You know, I just hand the key over, no money exchanged, just you go on and keep this going. And he decided to go on and keep it going. That being uh, a store owner afforded me the time and the opportunity to be a race director. When I had a turnover to being a coach full time, I needed to direct all my attention towards that because I had a wife and two kids that relied on me and my wife to put a roof over their heads and foods in their mouth. Right. So as you just said, like race directing wasn't <laughs> that you know meal ticket. Right. Like I was not making uh, the first three years that I race directed Hellbender. I did not take a dime. I wanted the race to succeed. So I did not take a dime. They paid me the final year, but, you know, um, over the course, and I put on a lot of other races, but I never made a lot of money from it. So it was just ultimately deciding, like, listen, like, if I have to focus my attentions on my family and, you know, making sure that they're okay, I need to take this seriously. And that's, you know, that's what I ultimately had to decide was, do I have time to race direct? Because that's more of like a hobby for me, right? You know, it's, it's not a job. It's just something I love to do. 
but you know, I'd really need to focus on my, my coaching business and getting it on, up and going and making sure that it's sustainable. So yeah, I had to give it up. Will I go back to race directing? I would love to, I, there's thoughts I have, but you know, as we were discussing before the show started, it's just time, <laughs> you know, it, it, it really is time. Like I want to have time for my family. Uh, you know, I want to have time for my, my runners. I want to have time for, you know, the teams I coach and, you know, I want to have time for me too. <laughs> so it's, that's, that's tough. And that's a tough balance. Um, you know, so something had to give and, you know, unfortunately that was race directing for now. Um, you know, this, um, the, the most cherished memory I have from race directing was a woman that finished. Um, I think it was, I can't, I, I'm trying to remember if she did a 30 K or a 50 K, but she finished and you never know what a person's story is. And that's what I always remind myself. And this story taught me that was well, she came across the finish line and she had um, a hat on and she was weeping. <laughs> and I'm going to start weeping in a second because this always gets me. She took off her hat and she didn't have any hair. And she said, I just been through chemo. And this was the toughest thing that let me know I was alive. <laughs> she gave me the biggest hug. And oh my God, like you said, it just holy shit it just it struck a chord because like you don't know what people are going through but you can make a difference and and that race made a difference to her and i was so happy that i could provide that opportunity so i don't forget that and i'd love to provide that opportunity again and maybe someday i will but you're right you can make a difference in many people's lives and you know i've had many people tell me stories when they cross the finish line and there's nothing greater than hearing those stories and hearing their experiences and what they've been through in order to get to that finish line. Um, it's, it's beyond motivating. It's beyond inspiring. You know, it's when you're in a dark moment, you can think back on those times and be like, this isn't anything, <laughs> you know, I've heard stories that are something and what I'm going through is nothing compared to, you know, what's going on out in the real world. It's a reality check as to our lives are pretty damn good. We've got it pretty damn good, <laughs> you know, um, and I recognize that. And I, 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 I thank everybody around me, you know, yourself included for, for everything they do for this community, because we have a pretty damn awesome community of people, you know, just doing amazing things. It's so cool. And so, uh, but anyway, I'm sorry. I get, uh, I get cheery every time I think about that story. <laughs> He's crying just in case you're listening to this and you can't see it. He is crying right now. I told you I wear my heart on my sleeve. These, my listeners know I get, I get weepy sometimes because I am emotional and it, you know, things like this, it, they do mean a lot to me. Um, but yeah, anyway, it's um, I usually cry a bunch of times at the race. <laughs> like I've been a handful. I mean, I'm also yeah. sleep deprived. Yes. You know, yeah. Yeah. and I don't remember a lot of it. Like, yeah. you know, yep. yeah. Like the, it, it always makes me feel bad when, you know, someone like, like that lady, let's say that, let's mm. say you run into her two right. years from now. Right. And then, you're like she's like, hey, Aaron. You're like, oh yeah. Do have you have you done my race or what? You're like, yeah. I was the lady that took off the hat. And, right, you know, right, like, right. Oh, yeah. I don't remember that. You know, right, like what's right. wrong with me? Uh, <laughs> but it's you know, it's overwhelming because you have, I mean, hundreds of those experiences in a day. You know, Absolutely. and that yeah, that's that's a lot. That's a lot of emotional baggage. I think yeah. I would say that race directing is a lot more emotionally draining than than anyone ever thought it would be. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That day it takes it out of you. I usually, when I finish, um, you know, when the last person's across, we've got it all cleaned up and everybody's okay. You know, I, I, I don't have any more obligations. No matter what time it is, I go for a run 
and it's always in Strava labeled decompress because <laughs> I need time just to, you know, filter through the whole day, everything that's transpired. But that run helps me just kind of process and clear my mind and just kind of get back to that, you know, status quo because you're so high on emotions and, you know, you need to bring it back down before you can like sit down for the night. Otherwise you're going to be wound up tighter than a ball and you're going to try to lay down and your eyes are just going to stay open because you haven't had the time to process everything that just went through and all the emotions you went through. So, yeah. Well, I, I'm I, usually like a good, I would say over a three day period, I sleep like two or three hours, you know, it's like a long and, and when it's over, my, my wife has it so dialed in that badger, we were in our hotel room by 10 p.m. that night. Nice. And everything was put away in dot. Nice. You know, like it was yeah. closed. And uh, but one of the things that that I, you know, I remember when we woke up this year, I looked at her that morning, like 3 a.m. We're on our way to the park. And I said, the next time we talk, we're going to be saying, I can't believe it's over. Like that's <laughs> the next conversation we're going to have. <laughs> and then we go and we do this thing. And we don't interact that much, but she basically runs that shit. I mean, she's, she's the boss. Yeah. And, uh, and then when we, we get all done, we get back to the hotel. I'm just like, see, I told you, like, how, <laughs> how did that all happen? Yeah. And, uh, what's funny is that like two years ago, I woke up the morning after the badger and screamed that we needed to go. We need to get to the park. We're late for the park. And she had to physically shake me and yell at me and say, <laughs> it's over. The race is over. The ra and like, yeah. I was convinced we had to get there and that we were late, you know? Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's not all fun and games, you know? No. It's, no. It takes a lot yeah. out of you. No, the, the, but when, you I, know. When, I, when I'm on my deathbed and I look back, I'm not going to remember the, you know, the guy that, that paid me, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees. I'm going to remember <laughs> that guy that, that cried when I gave him his, yep. you know, the guy that didn't want to give me a hug, but then I made him hug me. And then once, <laughs> I, once I hugged him, it just opened up and he cried. And, you know, like, I'm going to remember that guy or, you know, the, the email from someone that said, I listened to that podcast and I just want you to know that, you know, I'm finally going to stop drinking. I'm finally going to leave my husband or, you know, come to grips with what happened to me in life or, you know, like all those yeah. life changing, because it doesn't matter who I interview and it doesn't matter what I interview them about. I could do three hours with Aaron Saft. And by the end of that interview, we'd put it up and we'd be like, I don't know. I mean, it was all right. Like, I don't yeah. think, I don't think we did that great. And someone will send me an email and I just, I just want you to know that Aaron Saft, <laughs> that was the, that was the one I totally connected with, you know, and you're just like, wow, you know, but <laughs> it just happens. And then yeah. you're just like, you know, did you have, it's, somebody... it's a really neat thing. Did you have somebody in your life that kind of helped you pivot when you were trying to get sober? Did you have somebody that was, you can think back to that was, you know, kind of like a mentor or really gave you a, a different insight? Not, not that helped me to get sober. Cause I mean, I didn't really get sober until, until everybody was gone. You know, like, yeah. like you just destroyed all of your relationships and yeah. lied to everybody and hurt everybody. But I think that once I became sober, um, well, once I quit drinking, I, I had a, uh, a mentor. I was very, um, anti 12 step stuff. Like I, I was too smart. I was a philosophy major, you know, all these people that believe in God are dumb. All these people that, you know, go to these meetings are dumb and, I was kind of like way better than them. And, um, but I struggled, struggled so much with 
you know, relationships or my feelings or just like all these things that, you know, when you, I got sober when I was 21. Mm -hmm. And so all the time that I spent medicating was developmental time that I never got. Mm -hmm. So I never learned like how to have a breakup, how to have a friend, how to tell a friend off, how to have an argument, like (laughs) all those things. I just didn't have, you know, like adult skills. And I was struggling so much. And I had this one friend, he just always laughed at me. And he's like, well, of course, because you're an alcoholic, you know, like you're, you're a, you're an alcoholic who's not getting treatment and treatment is, you know, working this program. So um, I used to go to these meetings, I go to 12 step meetings and just unload on everybody about my problem. And then I would just leave and and I wouldn't listen to what anybody else said or, you know, buy the book or do anything. And then uh, at some point, um, you know, I, I was, it's, it is weird. I can't believe we're talking about this, but I was uh, driving through um, California. It was Lake Isabella near Bakersfield. And me and this guy, we decided we we're going to swim out to this island. Uh, and, you know, and I was a swimmer. I had a mile swim patch. I, you know, I figured it'd be no problem. But um, it had been, you know, 15 years since I swam. And not a lot of drugs and smoking and out of shape. And, you know, and this was a big, you know, there are big waves and stuff. And, and I struggled. And I got about three quarters of the way to the island. And, I, and it hit me that I wasn't going to make it. Like, I'm going to drown out here. Oh. And there's there's not a lot of scarier feelings than knowing that you're going to drown. Right. Um, and I saw him, he put his arm out and he's like, come, you know, you can make it. You can, you know, somehow or another at the end of all this, I get to this Island. I get up and I'm just bawling and shaking. And, you know, like, I, like I'd face death and he's just laughing at me laughing. And he's like, you know what, Scotty, this is what life is. This is what life is all about, man. It's like being scared and overcoming what you're afraid of, you know, like, it, and it just had this impact on me, this like wow. shift where I just kind of said, you know what, maybe I'm not that smart. And maybe I could just entertain the fact that maybe these 12 step people know what they're talking about. And just, you know, went in there and said, you know what, I'm going to act as if I'm going to pretend. And then by pretending, you know, they say fake it till you make it. That's yeah. what I did. You know, I faked it. And, you know, the the funny thing is there's there's these institutions out there like church or 12-step groups or, you know, school or, you know, therapy, wh- whatever it is that, you know, nobody ever comes back and says, I wish I wouldn't have gone to therapy or I wish I wouldn't have, you know, taken those classes or what, you know, like, these are all things that if you fake it till you make it and you give it, you give it a good try, it makes you a better person, you know? Yeah. So that, you know, I would say that he would be someone that, at least open the door to you don't know everything and you know maybe you should just listen to what other people are saying and you know like back to what we were talking about in terms of the the arguing even just that you know if all these people are doing this there must be something to it you know so maybe you know a good operating procedure for your life is that you might be wrong about everything and that good smart and kind people might disagree with you, you know, and if you can, if you can fully embrace those two things. I think that you get a lot further in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. I just being able to listen. That's, you know, as I realized a long time ago, uh, my previous business partner um, was just, he's an upstanding person, um, very open-minded, very humble. Um, and, um, I had an interaction when he was the manager at the run shop. I just worked at part-time before we owned the run shop together. And, uh, this woman had come in and you know, I, I'm fresh out of college myself, you know, just 
real full of myself. Not, I was not the Aaron that is before you today. <laughs> I was not humble. <laughs> I, I was, I was egotistical. That's for sure. Um, I was arrogant and she mentioned her 5k and I, you know, I didn't think anything of it. This is something that this woman was proud of. Right. And this is not my proudest moment. I didn't acknowledge that she had just put a performance of her life and wanted to share that with me, share that moment that she was proud of. And I didn't recognize it. And he pulled me aside after that interaction and, you know, showed me <laughs> the air in my way and said, you know, listen, like, these are people that want to talk to you because they want to learn from you. Like you have to open up your ears and your heart to understand like where these people are coming from and that not everybody is an elite. And that conversation pivoted my, my life. I, from that moment forward, I recognized that I was an asshole <laughs> and that I just needed to stop being an asshole and listen to people and recognize and and appreciate everybody whoever came through that door or whoever came into my life and hear their story and be compassionate and 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 give them you know uplift them for for what they've done everybody you know they're they're always wonderful it's you know and that's i think something that that strava can you know we we can you know we see what each other are doing and it, that's that's kind of elevated everybody because it becomes more of a, a social, right? Like we get to say, congratulations. Well done. That's awesome. You know? Um, whereas, you know, before we didn't have that. And I, I guess I just didn't recognize that. So, you know, I, now it's about really giving back, you know, and that's what became after I, you know, I had that conversation with him is, well, how can I give back to running? And that's what everything since then has been about for me. Uh, the podcast, the race directing, the store, the coaching. How do I give back to this sport that's given me so much? Like, you know, and that's that's what I think about every time I do something. You know, whatever change in life I have, if I can give back in some way, that's, you know, that's what I want to do. Um, How but, did this podcast start? I mean, you may have probably already told the story to your people. Uh, well, times, so, but... Yeah, um, I felt I had something to share, right? Like, um, I, I felt I had conversations that I wanted to have. Um, it, you know, it was right, uh, right as COVID was starting actually. And one thing that I wanted to do was connect with people on a, on a more interpersonal, like we're doing, having these conversations. I felt like the, the world in general was just kind of becoming more and more confined. We were becoming, as we were talking about earlier, more virtual and having our discussions online through typing. Rather than just having these, you know, be it a virtual conversation, you and I are talking back and forth. And that was something that I felt like was diminishing in my life was that just interpersonal conversation about anything. You know, we, we've talked about multiple topics here, some not at all about running. <laughs> and that's what I wanted. I wanted to have these discussions. And, and from these conversations, people are taken away so much more. I didn't want it to just be like, Oh, Scotty, what's, what's the latest race you've done? What's, what's the race you're doing? You know, like I wanted to actually get deep down into the nitty gritty, talk about like those darker moments. How'd you get through them? What did you do? Like, wh what's your mentality? Like, how did, you know, how did you train? What were some things that were successful for you? So all that kind of stuff, that's, that's what I wanted to bring these conversations to so that people had takeaways. 
you know, like a lot of times I'll listen to an interview and, you know, it's, I mean, uh, you know, they'll interview an elite or something like that. And it's just about their race. And I don't take away much. I'll be honest. It's, it's cool. It's amazing. Like I'm, you know, again, I recognize the effort and the amount that went into that race, not to take away that, but I don't pull anything from it. I'm not learning a lot from it. Sure. I can take inspiration away from it, but I want to learn something. Teach me about like, well, how did you get there? How did you get through that tough moment? Like what were the actual actions you took, the tools, the mental tools that you took to get through that? And that's what I like to dig into. Um, you know, and then all my conversations, it's, you know, I hope people can take stuff away from, you know, everything. And I'm sure this conversation, there's been a lot here <laughs> that people can take away from things that you and I have both said, but that's where it all started was just creating these genuine conversations. As I said to you, I don't have any questions read out. There was nothing in my mind that was like, this is some key things that I want to touch on with Scotty. It was just having a conversation and letting our creativity just take over and say, here's, here's what today's going to be, you know? Um, and that's, that's, what's been fun. And sometimes it's just a solo episode and I'll talk about a training principle, or I'll talk about things that I went through in the grand slam, you know, stuff like that. Um, but you know, overall, I just wanted to have something, a different platform and just ways to get out there. Cause people reach out to me and they ask me questions like, you know, well, how do you deal with this? And then I'll go off on a whole episode about that. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's just a platform for me to be able to, to reach out and again, just kind of give back and, and share my knowledge, at least what I have <laughs> with. And if I don't know, I try to find a guest that does, you know, that's, you know, I'm, I'm never too shy to say, I don't know, <laughs> let me find somebody that does. So that's, but that's where the podcast came from. I mean, that's not that different from, from me, you know, like, like, well, I mean, and I started running a little bit after you, but I was listening to podcasts early and it, and it seemed like it was always the same format. It was always, yeah. you know, Oh, Aaron, you just, you just won the Leadville. Right. You know, how did you do it? How did you train? How was your yes. race? What was your, right. you know, Oh, right. you're so awesome. You know, come back again. You're awesome. Yeah. You know, and it yeah. was just like, as a, you know, a slow, overweight, busy unaccomplished and uh ungifted runner i wasn't really getting that much out of that except right. that you know like you're awesome you right. know like that's great right yeah. you know sure. scott Jurek's awesome i get right. it but yeah. you know yeah uh, and at one point uh ultra runner podcast eric, eric trans yes who's a, who's a good friend of mine he had a guy on called chris ross thomas the kansas city kid and uh he was a 350 pound ultra runner who had just finished his first 50 miler and he was overcoming his addiction to eating okay. like a overeaters problem. Okay. And he told this story about how he, he was a traveling business guy and he would go to these hotels, you know, like people leave their room service trays yes. out in the hallway. Right. He would scoop it up on his way into his room and take oh, all yes. that food with him and eat it. Like that's how bad his addiction had become. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and, and it was just like, I was like, this is what I want to hear. This is yeah. like a real fucking, st I mean, absolutely. Boy, real people. Imagine. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Real shit. So <laughs> when I have people on my goal, like I just did your coach. Yeah. Uh, Pat Patrick. Regan. Yeah. You know, my, my goal is let's when it's over, I want you to feel like, you know what? I kind of get him now. Yeah. Like I kind of, I feel like I know him. Yeah. And so that, that was always just like my MO yeah. and interviewing people absolutely but yeah. it was not that different than yours you know i mean that well it's, there's, there's just so, so many people out there right like i mean there's so many cool people with so many cool stories and you know as you were saying it's just like i'm not trying to to grab like i'm not trying to put scotty coomers on there just to grab some new listeners like that's not my intent is you have stuff to share and that's you know that's the 
deep, deep down dirty of it is just like I find interesting conversations with people that, you know, have a good story to share and, and are willing to share it. As you said, you'll come on any podcast anytime. <laughs> and, you know, Anybody I appreciate wants that. to talk to me for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it, it's, you know, it's, it's multifaceted, you know, the, the podcast, I can't say like, it has like a core, like this is my routine, you know, or this is my key guest. Cause I'm all over the place. Honestly, like I've talked about workouts people can do, you know, cause that's what people ask me about. They're like, Hey, like, what are some really good tempo workouts? Like, what should I expect? What effort should I put into it for how long? What kind of intervals? So I just did a whole podcast episode on tempo running, you know? So just sharing that, not that, like I said, not that I'm the end all be all source, but you know, I've been running for 33 years now. Like, you know, I've had a lot of experience in this, but I had a lot of coaches and I've learned a lot. So just, time for me to share it, you know, and this is a good platform to do it. So are you on the Patreon? Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. And, and like, if you're listening to this and you're not a, a patron, I mean, it's time for you to, to just go be a patron. Just, you know, like, <laughs> like there's, you know, when I think about, I always talk about some, I show us like, what can you do in the world for like $2? Yeah. Like nothing. You can't do right. anything. Right. So if you're listening to, you know, three episodes a month, you know, they're an hour piece. It's six hours. Right. Yeah. $2. Yeah. That's, there's like nothing in the world that's that cheap. So if you listen to a podcast and maybe this isn't the show that you listen to, and if so, I'm not talking to you, but if you're listening <laughs> regularly and you subscribe and you download it and you're not a patron, what the hell are you doing? You know, like <laughs> I, I, it just boggles my mind. And then if you want to know, is this guy in it for the money? And is he in it for the downloads? I immediately know that's not true. When I see the September 21st Grand Slam Megasode, four hours and 11 minutes, which isn't longer than my longest, by the way, just so you know, you didn't beat me. I, I did a five and a half hour one-on-one -on -one with Camille. Oh my gosh. We did like all day. That's amazing. Um, and, and you know what? People say it's their favorite episode. That's awesome. Like the, the diehards, they loved it. They listened yeah. to it more than once. Yeah. Um, but if you were just in it for the, for the downloads, you'd have broken that up. Oh, you'd yeah. have had it. You'd have had like ten episodes. Six parts, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know. Well, then you get all the downloads. Right, right, right. But no, that, that's, that's why these guys do right. this thing. Like you know, like the what? Like it's really irritating. The the like the Western States preview when they do yeah. like fifteen minute interview yeah. of fifty different people, yeah. and you're just like, come on, yeah. you know? I know. It, How it, many previews do we need? Up your yeah, gunks up your your inbox for the podcast. It's like, uh, but yeah, it's uh no, it's it's definitely not. Um, this is it's a great you know media um, that I just really have grown to love. It has made me I feel like a better conversationalist, um, just in general, you know. And that's that's something that I wanted, uh, you know, selfishly. <laughs> I wanted to become better at having conversations and you know being more open with people and and open about myself and my you know my experiences, um, which has really helped, you know. And and sometimes. I think that's what's missing again, you know, going back to that is just that ability to have an open and honest conversation, um, you know, and, and not get mad at somebody for their opinion and just listen and, you know, you can express yours and, you know, you can walk away both with still, you know, admiration and respect for each other because, you know, yeah, we different opinions, but that's okay. Like, you know, that's your opinion. That's mine. We're not saying you're wrong or I'm right and vice versa. It's just a conversation. So, you know, I, I love some of those people too, though. Like yeah. those are some of my favorite people. <laughs> are, like I just interviewed, I don't know if you know, do you know who, um, what's her name? I just, I just interviewed her. Her name's, uh, 
Hannah Walter. Um, she's she's uh, alopecia. Okay. Yes. She's yes, a yes, marathon yes. runner. Yes. Yes. And, from Charlotte. And we've. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, she lives there. She's from uh, Wisconsin. Okay, but she's, she's from she lives in Charlotte, right? She does. Yes, yes, yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. Oh, she's so fascinating. If you ever, yeah. if you ever get a chance, you should have her on. You'd love her. I've listened um, to podcasts with her. She, yeah, she is. But we disagree about everything strongly, yeah. like in yeah. the sports world. Like you're just, okay. you're just wrong. You just don't know what. You, <laughs> or uh, there was another one that um, Allie Bailey. She's a, a really famous British lady who's super opinionated, and we like bought on this like in, in like we're talking about like playlists but i'm like going through a place i'm like oh Allie, like like saint almost fire what the hell is wrong with you like why how could you even like that song you know um but i i, I tend to really like those people that that, oh, yeah. that get in your face and disagree with you and can have fun yeah. with it you know oh absolutely yeah uh, we've had those conversations you know and it's it's I like talking to the spectrum I've talked to shoe developers I've talked to you know the store owners and you know, they have their personal opinions about what's right for people and what's wrong for people. And and mine may differ. And that's, you know, again, like we talk about these things and, you know, you, you get comments from people like, sure. They, then they have questions that they want follow-ups and stuff. And that's fine. Like, I, I'm not afraid to like bring them back on and talk about things. You know, I had um, Peter Defty on about Vespa. Um, you know, like there's you know, people are like, you know, well, you know, did, you know, does he have scientific proof? And, uh, you know, I, I tried to ask Peter, but, you know, he's, he doesn't go by the scientific proof part of it. So, it, you know, take it or leave it. Yeah, right? good, like, he had a good one with Coop. They, they went at it to yes. them. Yeah. Yeah. That was they, a good they, episode. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, like, but having these conversations, it's all part of it, you know, like, but you know, people ultimately have to go out there and, and, you know, do their own research, right? Don't take my word for it. Like look at the research, you know, it's, that's something they said to us at the coaching conference is like, don't take everything at face value, right? Especially like the, 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 the people that are on Instagram or TikTok or anything, you know, these influencers, like do your own research, like look at the, the studies, you know, and, and if you don't know, ask somebody that's done or read the studies at least to what is the, the reality behind this, you know, is this true? Is this false? Should I go buy it? Like, you know, like, cause a lot of times we see this product placement and it's because, you know, so-and-so is using it. Well, then maybe I should use it. Well, you know, again, <laughs> find out about it. You know, it's not just that they're using it, like find out if that's a valid reason to use it. You know, is it? Well, and there's, to... there's some things that it, you know, you can't, you can't explain why, you know, like there's, uh, for instance, like nutrition. Yeah, I get it. You know, you can, you can tell me about the number of calories that I can digest and, you know, we can break down nutrition and, and from a right. scientific standpoint and all that stuff. But at some point you get to a point where you're a great runner and you say, you know what? Uh, grilled cheese sandwiches are the only thing that I don't throw up after mile 80, you know, like I need, I need to eat grilled cheese sandwiches and, and it's for, for whatever reason, that's what I can eat. Oh, is this your dog? Look at that. Yeah, yeah. This is Miles. <laughs> my my dog's one of her best friends is a mini Aussie. Oh yeah. He was he was just whining. So I had a had to give him a little attention. <laughs> How much does he weigh? He's 25 pounds. <laughs> oh God, you're so lucky. Yeah, my puppy's 70 pounds. <laughs> He's fun. <laughs> but like so, like nutrition, you know, that's one of those things that like the oh, science yeah. might say A, B, and C, but you know, at the end of the day, what's the answer? You know. If, oh, yeah. if, if, if you tell me the science says I should be eating that and I'm throwing up, well, that's great, but I'm still throwing up, you yeah, know, I mean, right, right. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I agree. It's, you know, it's, and 
it's it's hard. I mean, <laughs> there's so much out there, you know, and that's a lot of the things that we talked about at the uh, the conference, you know, like all these recovery tools. Um, we had three different discussions and they all brought up recovery tools, um, be it PTs, doctors. Um, there was uh, Dr. Uh, Nick Tiller. Um, he's like, he kind of goes through pseudoscience and kind of debunks a bunch of stuff. Anyway, like three different conversations and they're all like, your recovery tools, they, you know, they're, if you are healthy, they're not re helping you recover. There's nothing about them, foam rolling, massage guns, you know, all of these things that we put money into, they're just, they're not doing anything for you in the recovery sense. Now, if you're injured and you go to your doctor or PT, they may have a reason for you to use it in order to help regain some mobility um, and function. But, you know, if you're using them as recovery tools, they're, they're not doing that. If it feels good, if you feel good afterwards, the, you know, the placebo effect has taken effect because you're feeling good now, that's fine. They're not hurting you. <laughs> so if you want to use them, it's totally fine. They're not going to hurt you. It's just, you know, don't expect them to help or aid with recovery. If you could spend time doing something else, do that. <laughs> if you could spend more time running, do that. That would be, you know, more helpful than using recovery tools. So, you know, just, just some really interesting stuff. Again, like don't take things at face value, uh, you know, like all these things that were, were thrown out, you know, the Norma Tech boots, et cetera. Like, you know, th like these are really expensive things, but like, what's the studies? What are they saying? I know the companies are saying these are, you know, used for compression and they increase circulation, decrease swelling. Well, you know, like, is that the reality? Is it really doing that? Do we need to reduce swelling? Isn't swelling the inflammation? Isn't that what's helping us recover? <laughs> so, you know, think about these things too. So, but yeah, it's, you know, it like, it seems like there are a million products out there. There's a million things that, that, you know, take our attention. Um, and we have to be careful, honestly, have to be careful. Um, it was hard as a run shop owner, you know, um, I remember when we went through the the minimalistic phase and this was a conversation that they had as well about, you know, barefoot and minimalism and the five fingers, you know, that was, that was the hot thing at the time. And we held off. We, we could have made dollars there, but we held off. And the reason we held off was because we felt that people would use them negligently, like not use them as like, you know, as we would breaking into using something that minimal, right? We were worried about injuries, even though they said, you know, at the time they touted that those were going to reduce injury. We were scared that people would just throw those on and just start doing tons of miles. And some people could get away with that, but we were worried people would get hurt. And so we stopped, we held off. So, you know, were we right? I mean, to some degree, but you know, it's again, it's just thinking about the things that you're doing and are they right uh, are they going to help you or are you just, you know, wasting your money? That's the hard part. Right. Well, and maybe at the end of the day, does it really matter? You know, like, like, like if you're me and you're, you know, lucky if you can run, you know, a 10 minute mile for 10 miles, do I really need the recovery boots? Is that really going to make a big difference <laughs> in my world? You know, I mean, right, right. I'm not at the margins You know, I'm not yeah, trying right. to like shave a second off of my time. Yeah. I'm just trying to not be injured and stay motivated and go out and have fun. You know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's it, and that's what it again, going back to it. That's what it should be. <laughs> going out there and having fun. <laughs> that's No, it also has to has to kind of irritate you sometimes too that there's this whole like coaching, it's really weird to me that coaching has turned into paying famous runners to be your friend, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. That like there's nothing about 
some of these coaches, you know, and I'm, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular when I say it, but like, sure. um, like, let's say Courtney, let's say Courtney starts coaching, you yeah. know, Courtney coach, yeah. she'd, she'd fill up her roster immediately. Oh, absolutely. She could charge as much money as she wanted. Yeah. And it would be, you know, great. Courtney's my coach. I'm coached by Courtney. I mean, of right. course I know what I'm doing. I'm coached by Courtney. And you <laughs> I say, what is it that shows you that she knows how to be a good coach? Like yeah. what, I mean, right. Right. There's a lot of like that, that first wave of coaching was all just all the famous ultra runners were coaches. That was it. You know? Mm -hmm. And I always wondered, now, did you know who Andy Noyes was? I don't think so. He was a, he was a Southern California guy. He was okay. really big and he had been a great runner when he was a kid, but you know, like he was older and stuff. He, he died a few years back, but okay. like, I remember talking to him and thinking like, you know, cause one of the points that he had brought up was, you know, do you know what it's like to be barely making the cutoffs do you know what you know like yeah. when you're like when you're yeah. when you're telling the story about how everybody was quiet at level i was thinking well that wasn't my experience if you were in the back and the we're all gonna die and we're never gonna make it group <laughs> we were really <laughs> chatting and, and, and you know what we kept talking about was at least that dream catcher hasn't gotten us yet like that yeah was, yeah like there, i mean and, and i don't know if you've ever been dnf'd for time reasons in a race i have not i have not okay but there's a point where it's not ultra math anymore. It's, it's just reality. Yeah. Reality yeah. sets in. And for me, it was on the top of the, um, it's the climb right before you get to the outward bound, the, um, power line. What is power? But the going the other way, you call it with something else. It's the, Oh, uh, anyway, um, you know what I'm talking by, about? But yes, yes, yes. By Mount Elbert, right. You're about to come down the power line. You know, oh, like yes. that you climb yeah. up and then you yeah. come down. Right, right. And the um, yeah. I got lost and, you know, like got off course. There's this whole thing. But I got to the top of where the where you're looking down the hill. And it's yes. like now now it's the, the sharp downhill to the yep. road where you yep. go to the next aid station. Right. And my and my friend Ryan Wanless is there. And he's Ryan's a, a Ditterod thousand mile finisher. He's he's a fucking bad. His his <laughs> wife finished fifth in the race. Oh wow. But he's standing there with his trucking poles and he just looks at me, he goes, you know, it's done. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, it's, it's over. Like there's, there's no point in even pretending like we might get to that aid station in time. Like it's <laughs> over. So then your whole demeanor shifts from like running for your life and, and you know, to just like yep. the walk of shame into the aid station at the end and you're no longer in a hurry. And and then of course the dream catcher catches you and you're just like, that was the last thing I had in life was that I, the, the dream, you know, and then he just yeah. comes running by and you're like, I just want to trip him. Right. Like that guy. Um, but there's that feeling. Right. And, and, you know, like you said, you, you know, you don't know that feeling. I'm sure my coach probably doesn't know that feeling, but like there's value in having a conversation with someone that knows what it's like oh, to feel that way, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and I think that, like maybe you and I are, you know, in our phase of this interviewing people, we've recognized that value and it's no longer just the format of, you know, like, Hey, Scotty, you did great at Leadville. Let's talk about your Leadville performance. It's like, you know what, Scotty, you're a notorious podcaster and race director who knows a lot of people in the sport and you just ceremoniously ate complete garbage on the trail and barely made it to mile 25. <laughs> How does that feel when the whole world is watching? And you know, like totally. but those are things too, because, and, and I don't know if you and I talked about this at the race, but this is something that I talk about a lot. And that's that there are two 
very distinct outcomes of my Leadville performance. First, I could heave my overweight body over that finish line right before the gun goes off in all the glory and have the whole boulevard lit up and people wondering why are they cheering so much for who who the hell is that? You know? And then it's like this moment that everybody shares and I can't believe he did it. And, you know, like, and everyone gets inspiration in that moment, you know, even the worst runner on the worst day looks at that and says, anything is possible. If that guy can finish this race, right? Right. That's huge. Absolutely. And when I die at mile 24 and my hopes and dreams of four years of training and coaching and all of this and people traveling all over the country, running a condo, the money, the acclimation, everything I put into this race is for nothing. And I blew it and I, and I failed miserably publicly in, in, in humility. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's also somebody watching that. Who's saying, you know what, I've, I've been avoiding signing up for that half marathon because I'm afraid I'm not going to make it, or I'm afraid I'm going to be in last place, or I'm afraid I'm going to fail. And look at this asshole just failing in front of everybody like a movie star, you know, yeah. like, yeah. what am I afraid of? Right. Maybe right. I'll go try. And there's value in that too, you know, cool. and I'm cognizant of that. And yeah. I think that it's very easy for us to look at in, in you've been a race director and you probably have forgotten some of the people that won or that broke the course record or that flew in that thing unexpectedly, you know, in the middle of the night and you gave them their buckle, but you never forget that person that is finishing that, that you would never have thought could finish totally. and who's using every single inch of, of their, of their being to try to heave themselves. And, you know, some of them in my case are half marathons. It's it, I, they've only dreamed of finishing a half marathon and I'm there for the moment, you know, like those people, you know, they need inspiration too, Absolutely. you know, and, yeah. and they need something that's relatable. So I think we forget about that. Totally. Not me and well, you, but as a sport, yeah. well, you know, yeah. When, when Trina talked to you on your podcast, um, you know, she's told you about, I, I did not follow the leaders. I followed the tail end and I followed them through cutoffs and I was there and gave them the cutoff because I know how hard that is. Like, no, I haven't experienced it, but I know how hurt, you know, hard that is and how much it hurts. So I wanted to be the one that told them you didn't make it this time. I sincerely am amazed by your performance. And, you know, I, I wanted to be as genuine and there for them as, as I could, because those are the people that, you know, they're putting it on the line sometimes more so than those leaders, you know, and that's why I wanted to be at the back and seeing these people, because these are the people that I know are going to have the toughest time. Yeah. I mean, you know, leaders have a tough time. Sure. Like they, they push themselves really hard, but you know, the, the people at the back, they're out there. I mean, you know, Western States, when I ran, like I was worried about the cutoff for a while. Like I was behind, I was starting to get like, am I going to make it to the end of Western States? It took me 24 hours to finally feel good. I felt awful up until 24 hours and then finally ran it in and, and got in with like an hour and a half to spare. That was scary as you know what, that's the first race of the grand slam. And I was struggling that hard. So, you know, I know these moments and, you know, the human spirit is a testament. And when my runners that I coach, when they have a DNF, 
I take it as a personal reflection. What could I have done differently? That's the first question I ask. You know, not what could they have done differently? What did, you know, I, of course, I assess what went on, takeaways that like, I'm like, hey, we have some talk points here, things we can work on for the future. But I also have to reflect and look back through their training and says, were there anything differently that I could have done that would have made that race a success? And if so, how can I implement that moving forward? And what can I learn from this so that other runners don't make the same mistake? So, you know, it's as a coach, it's if, you know, you take these things in and yeah, I mean, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm very emotionally wrapped up in whatever I do. And my runners are the same They're You know, I really care about their performances because I know they really care about it. That's what has to be important. So if you're talking to a coach, you know, what do they understand? Like, what is their background, right? Like, are they just an elite that's just going to spit out like a mimic of what they've done? Or do they understand your physiology a little bit more? Do they understand what you should be working on? Do they understand that you should be working on walking? <laughs> I think that's underestimated and undervalued in ultra training. Oh, you know, strong agreement, strong yeah. agreement. So all of these things, you know, so in finding a coach, it's, it's really a big talk. And I had a conversation with an amazing woman that's, you know, she's, she's finished second at Leadville and we were talking at the conference and she's looking for a coach. And my, you know, my conversation wasn't steering her towards, well, like, would you want to be coached by me? I was listening to what she was saying and trying to analyze what would be the best fit for her. And what was the best fit for her was another female. So I was trying to suggest other females that would meet her need, other female coaches that I knew, it, you know, so it's when I look at coaching and you come to me and I say, I may not be the best fit because this is how I do things. And you're expecting something different. I may be able to suggest a different coach. That's, you know, when you, it's a lot of coaches are just trying to take on athletes. I get that. It's our living. Like, I really understand that, but make sure it's the right fit right? Like it's the right person for you that understands you and what your demands are, how much time restrictions you have. That's a huge thing, you know, like being a parent, you know, that's, that's a huge thing. It's, you know, if you have kids, like make sure your coach understands what those time yeah. kids mean. I was just that's, thinking about that. Like, yeah. And then you say, well, do you have kids? No. I'm like, oh, well, then you don't get it. You know, right. I mean, right. and I'm not saying you have yeah. to have, like, I'm not saying that I can't imagine what it's like to have kids. Right. But, you know, I can't imagine how I would layer my life over having kids as well. Yeah. And I'm sure there are people that are busier than me that have kids. I mean, the president has kids. I mean, totally. I mean, yeah. And it's, you, and it's the, not to say that elites don't make good coaches. You know, there are elites out there that have very good. That's not what I'm saying. Nope. Right. No, I, I, I and I, I, I did not hear that. My of, coach I'm, is an elite runner. My coach right. won the Badger. You know, so, yeah. I mean, she, I'm, I'm, she just, like I said, it's not to say that elites make bad coaches. I have an elite, you know, that's a coach and he's a great coach. You know, Patrick is awesome. Um, but like, you know, it, it's not always the case and it's not always the case that, you know, non-elites are great coaches either. So you well, just have to, be and careful. that's not a good reason to have a coach that they're right. elite. That's in and of itself, you know, like, yeah. so my coach, and I want to brag on her for a second, but I Who's picked coach? my coach, Eliza Howard. Okay. Because, I, my dream is to finish Leadville. I'm gonna go back again and maybe I'll get one more checkpoint, but I'm going back, you know, yeah. like I want to finish Leadville yeah. and she has won Leadville, but more importantly, she trains for Leadville at 
but she she lives in San Antonio. Yeah. So she knows the the challenges of a, of a runner having to go there and finish and coaches a lot of people on Leadville. But you know, the one thing about Liza, like, so leading up to the race, I was so stressed out about the fact that Liza was driving 18 hours from San Antonio to pace me. Mm-hmm. She was going to pace me. Mm-hmm. I didn't pay her money to do this. Like yeah. I didn't pay her to be my pacer. She was just coming because she wanted to pace me. Yeah. And, and I felt like I'm probably not going to even get halfway. And she's coming all this way. And I even told her, you don't need to come. There's other people that will, you know, mm-hmm. and she drove all the way there, watched me fail, hung out with me. And before she left, she said, thanks for having me as your coach. You know, like not next time train harder, you know, and of course <laughs> we're going to have all kinds of things. We'll talk, I mean, yeah. but that she appreciates the journey that we've been on. You know, and I kind of yeah. like that. So, you know, and, and the reason why I picked her, you know, surprise, we, I have a coaching call with her tomorrow, even though I told her the last coaching call, we have nothing to talk about because <laughs> I'm not running for the next eight weeks. I can barely sit on this chair, you know, right. But she's right. like, well, let's just, we'll just still talk. Cause we, and we've even paused the billing during this period, you know, like yeah. there's nothing for her to gain. Um, but the first time I met her, she was waiting for someone to come to a checkpoint that she was coaching and the look of nervousness and, and, and excitement. And, you know, like, yeah. and I was like, that's what a coach, I, cause I always pictured. So like, uh, Ian Sharman's the, the head guy of that. And I always picture like Ian Sharman's like on his big golden bed, you know, like looking at his <laughs> screen going, when's that asshole going to DNF? You know, like, <laughs> I don't imagine him like chewing his nails and being like, is Coomer going to finish? You know, whereas yeah, yeah. Liza you know, definitely. Yep. And, and, and I, and I may be, you know, uh, assassinating his character unjustifiably. <laughs> I, I just know that when he sends me the, the, the bill and says, you gotta, you gotta send in your money. He never says, I hope you're training that for Leadville is going well, you know, like it's sure. always just, you need to pay the bill, yeah, you know? Right, right, right. So, so I, I've always, you know, like, and I've always thought like, it would be fun to have like 10 joke miles coaching. Like, why don't we have coaches here that you not, not me, yeah. but like people right. that like, yeah. you know, people like me that could, be your coach and stuff like right. that. Cause I'm, I'm interested. I I've never gone too deep into the subject. Like I was close. Cause I have this thing with Coop, like me and Coop have all these disagreements. And I think that he thinks that I'm someone that I'm not like, I think that like he thinks that I have an agenda, blah, 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 you know? Um, but like we strongly disagree on some stuff. And then uh, I invited him on, but then it, it kind of like fell apart. It turned into like a, he'll come on my show if I want him to, where I was just like, if you think I got you wrong, come on and tell me where I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. But then it turned into, he's doing me a favor by coming on the show. I was like, I don't need this, you know, <laughs> but like, I'm interested in subjects like um, uh, non-compete agreements with mm-hmm. coaches and coaching companies. I think yep. that that's a very fascinating subject. And, and I know that he has non-competes and, you know, like when I see him talk about, you know, being pro runner or things being anti runner, I always think non-competes that's anti run, you know, like that's, yeah. you know, the kind of issue where, if if my if you're working for him and you're my coach and then you leave and then I can't have you anymore because you have a contract with him. Right, right, right. That that, that seems kind of I mean, but but I know that there's a reason for it on the other side and there's a counter argument. But I'd look, you know, and then also the 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 rift between him and the roaches that's, that's become very public. You know, that was another thing that was just like, you know, I would you know, so th- this whole thing started because someone had him on their show and I was like, how could you not ask about that stuff? Like, mm-hmm. how could you not? Because people are afraid in interviews to ask uncomfortable questions that are gonna sure. that are gonna you know yeah. rub people the wrong way. Right, 
Right. You so, gotta, you gotta ask those questions, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah. Total transparency. Like, they recruited me for CTS a number of years ago. And, um, you know, uh, I look through expectations and at the time, I don't know what it is now. Um, my, my athletes were expected to become CTS athletes, all of them. And, you know, when I discussed that possibility with them, they said they couldn't afford it. Now that was a red flag for me. Right. And that's what I expressed when I told Coop, I'm sorry, I just can't lose my clients. Like that's, you know, me signing on to CTS doesn't weigh out enough for me to, you know, to sign on. Like, I don't want to lose these people. These are people that are, you know, my friends, people that I've coached for a number of years, like that means a lot to me and I don't want to lose them, you know? And so that's, that's, you know, I ultimately said, no, thank you, you know, um, to CTS. Um, and I can't tell like Coop is, he knows so many people that every time he sees me, it's like, he's meeting me for the first time. (laughs) So I can't tell if there's, you know, this, he's just doesn't remember me or, you know, harbors some kind of negative because I I didn't come on board. And there's Um, nothing wrong with that because that's me sometimes too, you know? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. No, it's, I, I, you meet a lot of people, right? Like, you know, it's, I get it. Like that's, that's for sure. Um, but you know, it's, is, is it right for the person? That's the the big thing, right? Like some coaches like that, they're just trying to get their start. And that's a great opportunity that, you know, to, to sign on with somebody like CTS, because then CTS can help provide athletes to that, that coach. So I get it. Like, you know, and, and I get a lot of coaches that come to me and say, Hey, if you're full, would you mind referring to me? And if I know you, if I know your coaching, if I know your coaching style, like, yeah, I have no problem like that. But if you're a brand new coach, I like, I, you know, I want the athlete to, you know, have a, a good coach. I don't know enough, you know, it's nothing against them personally. It's just, I don't know that. Hey, I know all about that as a lawyer, you know, people yeah. come to me and they're like, can you refer me to somebody? And I'm like, right. And then when that sucks, are you going to come back and tell me about, right, you know, right, right. why'd you like send me to that guy? Yeah. And that's why I haven't, I got, you know, I, I, I tried to take on a coach and it, it didn't work out because, you know, we weren't on the same page and I tried getting us on the same page, but we weren't. So I've just stayed solo. You know, like I just I, like what Ian does, what CTS does, you know, you lose some autonomy as a coach. And that's something we discussed at the conference was, you know, losing that autonomy of who you are and what you do and how you do things. Right. Because you have to conform to a certain standard. And I didn't want to conform to to really someone else's standards like this, you know, nor do I want to force another coach to to conform to mine. And that's why I've just decided to stay independent and just do my own thing and not take other coaches on under me. Like I don't mind mentoring other coaches. I have coaches that come to me for mentoring. I don't mind that at all. If they want to learn, I teach them. That's fine. But you know, at the same time, like it's, it's, you know, it's a lot to ask somebody to, to come under my umbrella and do things the way I do. So I I didn't want to force anybody into that situation. So, well, and my supposition, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that you have the privilege of being able to do that because you don't need to coach people to pay the mortgage every month, you right. know, yeah. which allows you to, you know, and that that's, that's something that I always try to stress when I talk about myself and my business and my podcast business and my running business is that none of it has to pay the mortgage. So, mm-hmm. you know, to the extent that there's somebody out there saying, well, that's really nice, you know, it's harder for me, you know, like people that are professional um, race directors or, or that are, you know, and that are grinders, you know, like, mm-hmm. like Sherpa John, you know, like yeah. there's a guy that that's how he pays his mortgage, right. you know? And if he, and if he doesn't have a good year in, in uh, race directing, he has a financial problem. 
that's not the case for me. If I break even race directing, I go, oh, I had a lot of fun. You know, I changed some lives. Well, co you know? coaching is, I mean, that is, you know, uh, thank God my wife's a doctor, but <laughs> coaching is my, my primary income, you know, but I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's sustainable, it, you know, it's manageable. Like when people ask me how many athletes I have and I tell them, they're like, how on earth do you do that? And I say, it's my full-time job. This is what I do for a living. This is, you know, I, I schedule six hours a day and I check on my athletes for two to three hours a day. So, I mean, my day is typically about, you know, eight to nine hours on training peaks. <laughs> that's, you know, that's the reality of coaching. And they're like, you do that much. I'm like, what do you do for your full-time job? You work eight to nine hours. Do you not like, is that, that's not the reality. Like that's what I do. That's my full-time job. You know, that's my expectation is to meet my, my athletes expectations. And I tell them that I said, you know, hold me accountable, right? Like they, everybody holds you accountable as a race director. Like, why would you not hold me accountable as a coach? Right. Like, you know, it's, it's, you have success metrics, you know, like how do you do it to races? So we measure your success. Am I doing good for you or, um, you know, or do we need to change things or do you need a different coach? You know, that's, those are tough conversations, but I mean, that's the reality. Now, know? someday I want to turn around and interview you on 10 Junk Miles. And one of the things I want to talk about, but I'm going to ask you a question about right now is about, um, you were a stay at home dad. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, and have you ever thought about writing a book? Yes. about being a state because you know my former business partner he was a stay-at-home dad too and i saw firsthand like sometimes the way people treat you or sometimes that you know like oh that's cute you know you're you're so lucky you know like and and sometimes they don't realize the reality of being a state and the oh. struggles of being a stay-at-home dad as opposed to a mom or being a stay-at-home dad in a stay-at-home mom world and like all of the intricacies yeah. of that i think it's a very interesting subject and i think it's a very misunderstood subject oh, absolutely that yeah. i would love to dive into more when you and yeah. i talk on our show and sure. but i i do think someone should write a book about that because yeah. i think it's a very yeah. interesting subject it is it is you know it's it, it has been um definitely a, <laughs> a huge learning curve you know uh especially when number two came around uh you know that that was definitely uh, uh made things a lot more more challenging um but i wouldn't change it you know, like I've had, everybody always says they grow up so fast, but I have been there every step of the way. Like, it, you know, what everybody's like, oh my God, I can't believe he is a teenager. I'm like, I can, <laughs> I've been there every step of the way. I've seen every moment of it. You know, like that's the great thing is that I've been here through everything. I've been able to go to every game, you know, like I've been there in all their moments. Like there's very rare times where like I didn't make it to something. And that's awesome. Like I, I have no regrets about, you know, the way, everything worked out and neither is my wife. I mean, you know, obviously she wishes she could be around a little bit more, but she loves her job. She loves what he does. She loves her children. And when she's has the time, you know, on the weekends, she's all about them, whatever they want to do, you know, and, and it's amazing. She's an amazing mom. And it's been a, you know, a, ch a challenging dynamic at times, but you know, we've made it work. And now is there a retirement um, plan for being a stay-at-home dad? Do you act, is there like a year where you're going to say, at such and such a year, I'm done coaching. I'm yeah. done. I'm done podcasting. I am just uh, going to retire and just enjoy I, my life. I, you know, I don't think so. I'm, I'm not built like that. You know, um, my father, he's just like a, you know, kind of that uh, salt of the earth, just, you know, grind until you die kind of guy, just always doing something, always has a project, even though he's retired, he's always doing something. And that's just the way I see myself. I can see myself as this gnarled old, you know, guy just kind of hunched over, 
and, you know, still just cranking out training plans and, and talking to athletes. I like, I'll, I'll probably still be coaching a local high school or something until they get rid of me. Um, but no, that's, you know, that, that's the way I see myself in the future. Like my wife knows it. I mean, we may take like the RV trip across the, the U S when we retire, but I think coaching is always going to be a part of it. Um, so, uh, it's, you know, it's, I enjoy it. It's like, it, it feels like I finally found a, a really, you know, good calling. Um, I, I used to teach and that's when I started coaching was back in 2000. Yeah. 2000 is when I first started coaching. Um, and you know, it's, 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 it's a cool profession. Um, it, you know, I, I've really come to enjoy it. I've learned so much and I just continue. I think that's the biggest thing is like, I enjoy learning and continuing to learn and evolve with our sport. Um, because you know, it's, there's, there's no, no real handbook for it yet. You know, marathoning, you know, five Ks, we pretty much understand exercise physiology. Like we understand the training principles that are going to make you, you know, successful, ultra marathoning it just keeps evolving and there's so many dynamic parts to it right like you could do a track race you could do a road race you could do a trail race you could do a mountain race you could i mean and there's so many differences uh, you know between the distances uh, you know up now we're i mean these races just keep getting longer and longer so you know we're having to write and rewrite because there's just so many different variables uh, you know aside from temperature and altitude like you know you faced them both at leadville right like there's so many things that we're trying to learn and incorporate into our sport is that, you know, if, if you just try to apply a marathon plan to, and just bump up the mileage, you're not doing a service to your athletes. So, yeah. Well, and then there's, there's also the whole winter running world, which, you know, doesn't get talked about as much as it should, but you know, that was, that was my big thing for a long time is doing the winter races. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that's was, you know, I was talking about earlier about, um, the adverse effects of ultra running and we went through the adverse effects of um being constantly exposed to those colder temperatures and what that can do to your respiratory system um it was a really interesting conversation and you know it hit home i was like wow you know i have i have a few athletes wisconsin um illinois you know like the midwest where uh, that you know temperatures are going to get really cold this winter and I can't always expose them to the outside, right? Like we're going to have to do some treadmill running just to just keep them safe. Like I can't have them, you know, go out for a four hour run, you know, totally outside. It, it may be, have to be like an hour indoor, an hour outdoor, an hour indoor, an hour outdoor where like, you know, we have to be creative with it because I don't want that constant exposure that, you know, could affect their, their respiratory systems. So it's, you know, you're right. Winter is a, another factor that is rarely considered, but like when I brought home stuff from this com- conference, it was, it definitely was a key takeaway. It made me think of a few athletes like right off the bat. Um, but yeah, like I said, a lot in this sport, there is a lot in this sport, but <laughs> man, ooh, we touched on a lot here, Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, why, why don't we, why don't we do another one and we'll do it. Okay. Online. Yeah. All right. You know, that's, yeah, we'll do part two. <laughs> Cause we have a lot of North Carolina people and okay. we have, you know, I think, yeah. I think it would be really interesting and to get into, get more into your story and, you know, coaching and stuff like that. And sure. being a stay-at-home dad, that those are subjects that I'm really interested in. Yeah. Um, we could talk about the fact that you said you were one and done at the, at the Badger, which, which I want to <laughs> pick apart a little bit and talk about a little bit more. Yeah, um, you got it. You got it. Absolutely. I'm one and done pretty much everywhere. Scotty. So, <laughs> uh, aside well, from I, have, hard I have, um, two weeks, I have the last dot standing and that's my favorite race. Oh, right on. Where you run okay. from Belleville to dots and back okay. over and over again. Okay. And the, the prize cool. pots up to like 
1600 or something like that right on. so nice. if you win the last person standing you're going to bring home a little over a thousand dollars so nice. that's, that's a cool. that's a lot of fun oh yeah. man that's awesome that's so that's dusty's coming nice nice ellie pal we have there's some interesting people coming so it should be fun. awesome that's awesome man well uh, god again thank you for your time man thanks for for coming on and chatting with me and yeah we'll do it anytime <laughs> anytime you're See, ask me to come on a podcast i never say no and um and then we'll do part two on Tenjuk Miles and we'll go right. we'll, we'll put a little bit more into Aaron. There'll be a little bit less Scotty, a little bit more Aaron, <laughs> but uh it should be a lot of fun. Well you heal up, buddy. I really appreciate you. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Uh, again, Scotty, thank you uh for coming on. It was uh a pleasure. Uh I really just enjoyed our time and, and the conversation. Uh drew a lot of emotion, obviously. Uh and uh Apologies for uh, uh, the language on my part, um, and uh, oh, man, but I, I really did enjoy the conversation. Um, I, obviously, both of us are passionate about our sport, and uh, that passion kind of showed in our conversation. So, um, but I hope you had some takeaways in there, of course. Um, and if you have questions for either of us, uh, reach out. Scotty is, uh, he's really good at responding to his emails as I found out when, uh, I inquired about Badger and helping me finish up the grand slam and, and running Badger. Uh, again, I can't express my gratitude enough for that. Scotty says, thank you. Um, so anyway, I really hope you enjoyed that conversation and, um, uh, moving forward and, um, here we are October. It's incredible. I love this month. Um, I don't know about you, but it just makes me want to get out and run, and I am already itching to run. I uh, got a few runs in. I just went to the Uesca conference, the Ultra Running Coaching Conference. Uh, some great, great speakers, including uh, Jason Coop and uh, Nick Tiller. Uh, so, you know, that's along with a slew of other guests that uh, just had some great contributions. Stephanie Howell on nutrition. Uh, really, just enjoyed the conference. I took away so much and learned a lot. Um, which was obviously the intent of going. So really happy that I went. Colorado Springs, this is an amazing place. I uh, got to do the uh, the Manitou's Incline, which was a great experience, um, and got to run in the Garden of the Gods, meet some other great coaches, um, and just connect with you know our community in a different way. So really enjoyed my trip there. Glad to be home. Uh, that was the last trip of the year. I hope, uh, really hope not to leave North Carolina soil for uh, the foreseeable future, uh, unless I go over to the Smokies. Uh, I'm always okay with that. <laughs> um, but um, aside from that, uh, everything is, is moving along. Uh, I can't wait to run. I'm back to that point. You know, I think this is kind of my last week. I may just go for a few jogs just because, as I said, I love this time of year, um, feeling mentally and physically ready. As I said, I had some good runs there in Colorado Springs, uh, 6,000 feet there in Colorado Springs. And, and, you know, obviously everything goes up from there. So, um, but just excited, excited by the prospect of running again, um, looking at putting my name into the, uh, the hard rock lottery next year would be the opposite direction of which I have not run. So I'd like to kind of finish that up, uh, if I can, uh, obviously it's up to the lottery, um, so I'm going to put in the name for that. And then I'm going to have some backups, um, uh, some, some other races as just in cases, uh, my qualifier, um, for hard rock, obviously want to keep that going. Um, 
And I'm on the fence uh, about Western States, about doing it again. Um, I loved, loved the experience. I love Tahoe, love all that, um, you know, and, and it, it really comes down to, do I want to chase a sub 24 buckle? Um, or do I want to let somebody else have that opportunity? And I'm leaning towards, I should let other people have that opportunity because I was, I was obviously, um, just gifted with the, uh, the entry, uh, through the raffle. Obviously I paid for that, but, um, you know, I, I, I had my experience, um, albeit not the greatest, uh, you know, not the greatest race of my life. Uh, probably one of the worst <laughs> to be honest, but, uh, Hey, um, I got to experience it. So for that, I'm grateful. And, um, I, you know, it's so, uh, I don't know what to do, but, <laughs> um, as I said, I'm leaning towards just letting other people get in and have their experiences, um, and just kind of keep moving forward. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of an open-ended year right now. Um, you know, like I said, uh, some, some registrations and lotteries I'm thinking of putting in for besides hard rock. Um, but we shall see, we shall see what, what 2024 brings, um, it's it's kind of hard having everything so open ended, not knowing, but that's the way it is right now. It's you know kind of as Scotty as I talked about, um, but um, coaching is uh, it's it's going super busy. Um, man, it's uh, it's great to have conversation with with new athletes. Uh, this is the time of year where uh, a lot of transitions happen. You know, some folks finish up their their goal races and want to take a break, and um, they're not sure what twenty twenty four will look like. Just like me, so um, you know, they they end um, their coaching, uh, and it's part of the process. You know, I, I don't have a, a, a contract that I ask people to sign for any period of time. Uh, I'm here for for you know everybody's coaching needs. Uh, so if you're interested in coaching please reach out. Uh, my contacts are in the show notes um, and uh, look forward to having that conversation with you. Uh, I may not be the right coach for you and that's for you to decide. I'll tell you all about what I do and how I do it. If it sounds like it matches up well with you and your needs, I would love to have that relationship begin and share your journey uh, to your to your running goals and hopefully you know we, we meet them together. So uh, please reach out. Uh, with everything going on with the travel and everything, I was not able to get the uh, the newsletter out um, for October first. But that's not to say it's not coming out. Uh, just uh, had a, you know quite a few things that I've been working on with the between the conference, uh, the end of the season here for cross country, um, you know, and and kind of just organizing my thoughts. Uh, I have so many things that um, <laughs> I want to write about, especially the Grand Slam, um, and I just can't seem to get them out on paper right now. Not quite runner's block, but I just don't know how I want to express it, um, you know. And and so I have a variety of ideas, but um, the the newsletter will be coming out. So if you're interested in signing up for the newsletter, please do so on my website. Um, I will be getting that out for sure. And um, yeah, we are kind of wrapping up the cross country season. The kids are doing great. Um, what a what amazing race that they all had yesterday. Um, I, I just love this age group. I'm, you know, for those of you who don't know, I'm coaching middle school and my daughter's on the team and it is just so much fun, uh, to see these kids racing. They're figuring it out, which is so cool. You know, uh, yesterday, um, the other teams went out blazing fast cause we're the team to beat. So they, you know, they went out super hard and I just yelled at my kids to slow down, run their race and they just nailed it. Oh man. It was so fun. So fun to watch. They're just, um, amazing. Um, 
and uh, we've we've got the conference meet next next week, so excited for them. And then um, I'm going to take them to uh, kind of the North Carolina unofficial state meet on October 21st and wrap up our season. So um, pretty cool. And then uh, not long after that, we'll be uh, we'll be getting into uh, um, indoor track. <laughs> so um, you know, on onward onward to uh, indoor track, which will uh, I'll be obviously coaching the high school. They don't have indoor track in the middle school level, um, but. Look forward to working with those kids again. I miss them. Um, you know, I spent so much time with them um, between winter track and spring track last year. Um, it's you know, it's it's kind of like um, missing you know missing a, a piece of of yourself because uh, uh, you spend so much time with them. And then uh, you know, summer comes and cross country comes and got this long hiatus. So I'm looking forward to seeing these kids again. Um, and aside from that, you know, like I said. All is well here, and I hope it is by you. I hope your training goes well. Obviously, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, I appreciate the questions. I honestly do. Um, you know, I've got questions that come in over uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, even Strava. Please, you know, drop a drop a question if you have one. Happy to answer it. Um, if it's something that you know needs uh, longer uh, explanation. I'll probably drop it on the podcast. So um, if you have anything that you want to hear about, topics or anything for podcasts, let me know. If you have guests that you have in mind you think would be an interesting conversation that we could all take something away from, I'm happy to hear about that too. So you know, don't don't hesitate to drop a line. Um, and uh, as always, I appreciate you guys. Um, I super appreciate my, my Patreon supporters. Um, you know, If you have uh, an extra dollar or two per month, it really does help keep me going. Um, so if you can sign up on Patreon, please do so. Link is in the show notes. Link's on my website, uh, runningislife.run. So, um, and if you want to learn more about my coaching services, again, check out my website. So thank you guys so much for being a part of this podcast, for, for listening, um, and for continuing to support the Running is Life podcast. So until next time, keep moving forward. Keep running, my friends.